The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. which we've been looking at encounters with Jesus, encountering Jesus. Uh, we've been looking at different characters in the book of John um, and how they encountered Jesus. Uh, last week, uh, Dash spoke about Mary who had to journey through her faith experience before even Jesus was there and how she was wrestling with her doubts and how she was coming to a place of total surrender and, and trust. And she was thinking and, and engaging her mind with her faith experience and, and how the community that she was a part of really helped in her journey of faith. And so this morning, I, I want to kind of build on that. And we're concluding our series this week. Last, uh, next week will be our last week on this series. And with the question of how do we encounter Jesus. I mean, we, it's good to talk about the, the Gospels and the people in the Gospels and Jesus was right there and it's kind of obvious that they were encountering Jesus, but we don't live there. How do, how do we encounter Jesus? What does it look like for us to, to live lives that are continually encountering Jesus? And so uh, I think it's pretty cool that we get to have this conversation uh, on Pentecost Sunday because I, I, I believe that this is the way for New Testament Christians to encounter Jesus. And we'll see that uh, the event that we're remembering and reflecting, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2, is the way for disciples of Jesus from the time of Jesus' ascension to continue to encounter Jesus. And it's incredible and it's exciting and it's powerful. And if you've been coming to our church for a little while and you're not really sure uh, what kind of church we're, we're a Pentecostal church. And what that means is that we believe in the present outworking and ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in tongues. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit of prophecy and words of knowledge and discernment. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit that clothes people with the power of God for mission and holy living. We, that's who we are as a church. And so so it's really exciting for us as a Pentecostal church to talk about the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um, I'm pretty excited this morning. And so I want to say that at the end of this service, we're going to be praying for people who've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, never spoken in tongues, never moved in the gifts of the Spirit, and you'd like to, and it's something you've desired, we'd love to pray with you at the end of this service. And I'm, I'm excited about this message because I, from my ministry over the years, one of the biggest roadblocks in people's minds about the Holy Spirit is a lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit or a fear of the Holy Spirit or a bad experience that they've had at another church or um, through other Christians uh, who may have taught them wrong things about the Holy Spirit. And so I want to break this message up into two parts. This week, I want to really look at, I guess, what the, what the Holy Spirit is, is about and who He is and I guess His identity and His character. And next week, we're going to focus more about what the Holy Spirit does and, and His power and His ministry in the church today. So I want to kind of break it out and specifically look next week about how the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for our mission and our ministry as a church, local church at PCC. How incredibly significant and important His part is in where we want to go as a church and what we want to see done in our city. So that's kind of where we're going over these next two weeks. So turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to spend our time there. 
And I'm going to read you uh, a bit of a, a slab of scripture, uh, but that's a good thing. So if you can follow along, you can tune in in your devices or in your hard copy old school Bibles, that would be awesome. John chapter 14, verse 15 and following. It says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not the bad guy, Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. That is an awesome promise. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come as Jesus promised he would, to be the spirit of truth that reveals the words and the, and the passion and the heart of Jesus for us. Give us revelation this morning so that we can receive your word into our hearts. Give us humility, Lord, to, to obey you and to trust that you are good and you are for us. That we might live according to the way you're calling us to live as your disciples, as your followers, and bring glory to your name. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me set the context a little bit. So chapter 14, Jesus begins by telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. And he's talking about verse 3, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So these are Jesus' last recorded words. And anyone will tell you when someone's on their deathbed or someone is about to leave or your kids are about to leave home and these are going to be your last words that you're going to leave with them, they become critical and vital. And so we, this is the context we're stepping into. Jesus' last words to his disciples. And he wants to really, really convey his heart to them. The second thing that we can understand about this, is, this context is that it's a crisis situation. Right? This, is, this, is, this is like the locker room conversation at halftime when the blues are really down and probably are never going to get back. This is that kind of critical conversation. We know that because in verse 5, as the, John records the words of some of these disciples, they, they've got no clue as to what's going on here. Jesus is saying stuff and they've got no idea. Philip is saying in verse 8, Lord, verse eight, Lord show us the Father and that will be enough. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 9. Don't you know me, Philip? Really? Don't you know me? Even after I have been among you for such a long time. Can you hear Jesus' heart there going, 
guys, I've been with you for three years. We've walked the dusty roads. You've seen the miracles. You've heard me teach. You've been there when I've raised that people. Don't, don't you know? Like seriously? So this is crisis point. This is crunch time. These are Jesus' hand-picked agents. Remember that. These are the guys that Jesus is going to entrust with his mission and his message after he's gone. And they have no clue. No idea what's going on here. The third thing that the context shows us in chapter 16 is that these guys, they're clueless. Jesus is going and they're going to face persecution. Chapter 16, John tells Jesus' words, they will, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. Not what you want to hear when Jesus is going to check out, as it were. So it seems like a dire situation. It seems like it's really, really hopeless. It seems like this is the end of the road. The mission is going to die with Jesus the next day. But when we read Jesus' words in John 14, there's no sense of hopelessness. In fact, Jesus' words seems to be full of hope and full of anticipation and full of excitement about the future. And all of that centers on this mysterious character that Jesus calls the Advocate. The second advocate that's coming. And in the Greek, the word advocate means someone who's called alongside to call you to action, to move towards a goal or a truth or something. Not just someone who's going to just comfort you and support you and be a shoulder to lean on. Yes, that, but also someone who has a prophetic voice to call you to action, to move in a particular direction. That's what the word means. Both aspects. And the best way to understand is like a defense attorney who speaks for us, who represents us, who supports us, who encourages us, but then tells us hard things that we need to do if we want to move in the right direction. That's the word advocate, paraclete, someone called alongside. But who is this person? What's, what's his identity? What can we learn about him from what he's saying? Well, I want to just draw your attention to three things that Jesus brings out here that have significant implications, not just for the first disciples, but for us today as we think about how do we continue to encounter Jesus. The first thing, and this would have been radical for the early disciples, is that he's a person. He's a person. See, the word spirit is in the neuter. Now, Greek Here's a bit of Greek here for you. Um, it has three different types of words. They're masculine, a bit like French. Masculine, feminine, or neuter. The word spirit is in the neuter. Now that would have been familiar to the disciples. Anyone who read the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, they knew God as a force that came on people, that empowered them for mission and for ministry. They were familiar with that idea. And so when Jesus starts talking about the spirit of God coming, that's how they would have been thinking. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 16 and 17. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Verse 17. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him. Personal pronoun. Him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That would have been radical for the disciples. You mean, hang on, the spirit of God, this advocate, is not the divine energy, is not the force of God, like Star Wars, it's not like, you know, the force is strong in the, no, Jesus is saying this advocate is a person. Now, what are the implications of that? They're huge. It means you can have a relationship with him. You see, you can't relate to a force. You can't relate to an energy. But a person, 
you can relate to. It means he has a mind. It means he has a will. It means he has emotions. You can grieve him. It means you can resist him. It means you can turn away from him. It means you can not be listening to him. You can ignore him. You can harden your heart against him. It's a person. I wonder if we really see the Holy Spirit that way. As a person who longs to have relationship with us. Huge implication. The second thing that Jesus tells us is that the Holy Spirit is a mediator. He's a mediator. He says, this is really intriguing what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 18 and 19, you're almost kind of sitting there in the disciples' seats going, Jesus, what are you really saying here? Listen to what he says. I will not leave you as often. So he's talking about leaving. And then the very next sentence, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. It's like, well, hang on. Are you going or are you staying? Are we going to see you or are we not going to see you? Uh, Look at verse 28. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. So hang on. Jesus, is this like a short-term thing you're doing? You're going, you're going to come back. We're not going to see you. We're going to see you. What's Jesus going on about? When you, when you understand what Jesus is saying, he's saying that this advocate, the Holy Spirit, this person who is equal with God and yet distinct from the Father and me, that's how I'm going to come to you. And that's why the world will not see me anymore because I'm not going to be physically here. But in another sense, my presence is not going anywhere. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I am going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That is how you're going to continue to know me and experience me. And that's why Jesus says in verse 17, the world cannot accept him because they don't believe in Jesus because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives not just with you anymore, but will be in you. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit, this advocate, he is the one that's going to mediate my presence into your life now. Though I am not going to be with you the way I've been with you, though my body is not going to be here, though I'm not physically present with you, this coming advocate is going to make my presence so real to you. He's going to mediate my presence to you. Incredible. There's a story told about a guy whose name I can't really pronounce well, so I've got it here to read it out. A Norwegian explorer, maybe you've heard of him, Roald Amundsen. Have you heard, anyone heard of him? Tell me what you know. Yes. First guy who went to the North Pole, actually, and the South Pole. He discovered the North Pole and the South Pole. And the story is told about on one occasion, he took with him a homing pigeon. And when he got to the North Pole, he released it. And that homing pigeon came all the way home. And talks about how his wife, when she saw that symbol of the dove that had come home, was filled with so much joy because she realized, my husband is alive. That's probably how the disciples encountered the coming of the Holy Spirit who descended on them in Acts chapter 2 in that upper room. They're like, yes, this is what Jesus talked about. The Holy Spirit has come, which means he's still alive. He's, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's on the throne. He's ascended. He's reigning. He's triumphant. And now he's poured out his spirit and we still have him here with us. He's not left us as orphans. Because the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God has come. And now He's in us. And we can know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The third thing that Jesus tells us is that this advocate, the Spirit of God, is going to be a teacher. 
He's going to be an instructor. He's going to take the words of Jesus, verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When we jump into chapter 16, Jesus unpacks this even more. He says in verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The spirit, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, his, his function and his role is to take the words of Jesus, the things that he hears from Jesus, and to remind us, to make them real, to apply them, to, to, to instruct us, to inform us. And it's as we experience the Holy Spirit that we will really understand fully the words of Jesus. See, that's why the disciples here had no idea. Even though they'd been with Jesus, they had no idea. They needed the Holy Spirit to come to open up their minds and open up their hearts that they could fully understand Jesus and the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus. That they would take this message to the ends of the world because they finally got it. They finally got it. Which is why you see such a radical difference in these disciples after the day of Pentecost. The uncertainty and the doubt and the fears, they're gone. And now there's a boldness and a courage to stand up and boldly declare. Because everything now made sense. They got it. The penny had dropped and they understood the teachings of Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller, he says this. He says the Holy Spirit is not just kind of an instructor and a teacher that just kind of sits there and, and teaches us the word. But it's much more than that. He says he argues with us. He exhorts us, he beseeches us, and he entreats us to live lives in accordance with the accomplishments and realities of Christ's love. That's what he does. You see, these disciples, they needed the Holy Spirit because even after being with Jesus for three years, they fully didn't understand his love for them. And he fully, they fully didn't understand what it was going to cost Jesus to display and demonstrate his love. They didn't fully understand the cross. And they certainly didn't fully understand what Jesus' love on the cross, his death and his resurrection was going to accomplish for them as the people of God. But when the Spirit came, he opened their minds and he opened their hearts to understand. Then he beseeches them, he challenges them, he exhorts them. In in verses 8 and 9 in John chapter 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict He will convict. He will challenge people. He's not just a you know a a, a kind and mild. He is all of that instructor that just very quietly kind of says, you know, please listen. No, he he does that, but then he challenges and he convicts us and says, come on, live for me, live the way I want you to live this life that's in light of the gospel because it's the best life. And it's how life was meant to live. It's how life was designed to be. And I want you to have that life, the God life, the heavenly life, the abundant life that Jesus came to give. That's what I want for you. Now, come on. He beseeches. Now, let me pull these three things together for you because this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. I don't know. Maybe it won't blow your mind, but it blew my mind. Because of this, You and I and the disciples from Acts 2 onwards, 
were able to encounter Jesus in a more full way than they did in the upper room that day. Just think about that. Just think about that for a moment. How many of us have longed to go back in here? Right? To walk the dusty streets, to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead, to be on that boat. Well, maybe not on the boat when it was in the storm. That was, I don't like boats. The fish, yeah, feeding the 5,000, right? Or maybe, you know, at, at the tomb seeing Jesus walk out. Yeah, we, we've done that. But what Jesus is saying is, <laughs> you guys have seen all of that and you've got no idea. And you're not going to fully know me or fully understand my love for you until the Spirit comes. You're not going to get it. You're not going to fully encounter me and fully experience me and really know me until the Spirit has come. That's us. That's us. So we need to stop pining for that and live in the fullness of this. And God, thank you, God, that I don't live with those disciples. Thank you, God, that I wasn't in that upper room having seen Jesus for three years and still being completely clueless. Thank you, Lord, that I have the scriptures. Thank you, Lord, that I have the Holy Spirit who breathes on the words of Jesus and brings them alive in my heart so I get it. So my mind and my heart is open so I can know Jesus as the Spirit of God opens my heart to his love and his achievements in the cross. That is huge. Huge. So how do we live in light of all of this? Well, again, I want to give you three real just kind of practical things, which we've, these are not new. If you've been journeying with us at PCC, they're not new things. But as a reminder, in light of what we're seeing and learning about the Holy Spirit, three things that will move you forward in growing in this. One, listen to the Holy Spirit. Like I said, he's a person and he longs for relationship. And he is a conversational God. The God that we find in Genesis 1 is a God who speaks. A God who longs for you. And no matter what you want to say to me, I think relationship is impossible without communication. You know, so people talk a lot about I have a relationship with Jesus. And I said to them, when was the last time you talked to him? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of get up on my soapbox and get in your grills a little bit this morning. But that's okay. We love Jesus. And hopefully you'll still love me when we're done. I, I, I just don't understand how that can be. I know if I stop talking to my wife and I stop listening to her, it won't be long before the relationship we have is non-existent. Why is it we think that we can have a relationship with God without conversation with God? And the Holy Spirit is a person who longs to have conversation and communicate with us. How is it we think that we can kind of ignore God, not talk to Him, not listen to Him, and still say we're in relationship with Him? I don't understand that. That's why we did a breed series where we gave you some practical tools about how you can be more reflective, how you can create margin and space and time to be alone with God because he longs to speak to you. And God has given us the means of grace. He's given us the scriptures. That is the main way that God speaks to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not in the book, then I don't know where you're hearing the words of the Holy Spirit. Because this... We read that that's the Holy Spirit's ministry is to bring alive the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. 
But then there's worship and there's prayer and there's community and there's communion. These are all the means of grace. There's baptism, the sacraments of the church that God has given for us to encounter him through the work of the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's in solitude and in meditation and study of the scriptures that God is wanting to speak through the Holy Spirit. It's like a radio. You know, it's, you get a lot of static sometimes, but you've got to kind of keep tuning and tuning and tuning and tuning until you get the frequency right and suddenly everything begins to come clear. And sometimes in our lives we're so full of clutter and noise and distraction and busyness that when, when we're just, we're just, all we're hearing is static. But the problem's not a... God's end, because the signal is still going out strong. The problem's at our end. We're just not tuning in. Listen. The second thing I want to challenge you with is respond. Because, you know, you you can still hear and do nothing with it. You can still hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, but not respond. And you can do that in your normal relationships with your friends with your spouse, with your kids. You can listen, but do nothing with it. But Jesus doesn't allow us that option. Throughout this passage, again, we've heard Jesus associate love and obedience. And in John 15, 1 to you know, 11, he unpacks it even in more detail. But right here in the middle of this section, verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And my Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You see, the Holy Spirit's job is what? To instruct us and remind us of what Jesus said. But it's not enough to hear it. We need to respond. We need to obey when he prompts us and convicts us and challenges us. Or when he encourages us and he builds up our faith. We need to step out and trust him in that place. See, it's one thing. Again, to say, I love Jesus and never obey his teaching. Jesus would say, that's impossible. Because those two things are inseparable. And it is as we respond to the Holy Spirit, as we humble our hearts, as we repent, and as we come and confess our brokenness and our sinfulness, as the Holy Spirit reveals our idols and our affections that are drawing us away from our complete devotion to God, as the Holy Spirit challenges us about the things that we do and don't do and and, and how we're meant to live in light of the teachings of Jesus, that we are called to respond in humility and in obedience and say, yes, Lord. I submit to you. And it's in that process that we encounter Jesus. And his love becomes the most real to us because the Holy Spirit is doing his work in our heart. We encounter Jesus. We encounter his presence and the Father making his home in our hearts. You know, uh, there was a story told, and this is history, you would know this, um, in 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius exploded, erupted, and completely destroyed the two Roman cities of Herculaneum and Pompeii. And if you've seen photos and kind of archaeological evidence, you see people that were kind of caught in that moment of history, fossilized as it were. And they were just going about everyday stuff. They were in the marketplace. The rich people were in, lounging in their spas and in their baths. And even pets, family pets, were kind of fossilized in the midst of activity. It was so sudden and so quick that it took people off guard. But again, historians and scientists record that it wouldn't have been a surprise. 
Vesuvius would have been rumbling and rumbling for weeks. And in fact, the week leading up to the eruption, there would have been a plume of smoke that would have just been continually rising up. The problem wasn't that there was no warning. The problem was that people didn't heed the warning. And they just ignored it and kept going. See, you and I can make that mistake with the Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures warn us continually, do not harden your heart when the Holy Spirit speaks. And we can do that because He's a person, right? We can resist Him. It's not like He's a force that can ta- just takes us over. Because He's a person, we can say no to Him. And He might convict us and convict us and challenge us and convict us and warn us and call us. And we can just ignore Him and push away and say, no, no, no. And then what happens is that we harden our hearts and we grieve the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And so it's not enough to listen, but we need to respond and say, yes, Lord, I will respond when you speak. I will obey. I will confess. I will repent. I will step out. I will put that into action. So the third principle I want to give with you is to live in light of what the Holy Spirit says. Live in light of it. What I mean by that is Jesus goes on at this, in this verse 27 to say, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now that's in the context of him talking about the advocate coming. What's the connection? Well, the connection is that when we really take heed of what the Holy Spirit says to us about the love of God, about Jesus' love for us and what Jesus has accomplished for us in the cross. When we take heed to that, when we really grab a hold of that and we live in light of that, we will live in peace. We will live in contentment. We will live in rest. Again, Keller uh, has a helpful illustration. He talks about it this way. He says, imagine that you're a billionaire. That would be pretty cool. We'd have our church built next week. Awesome. If you are, please let me know. Imagine if you are a billionaire and you get up one morning, you put three $10 bills in your wallet and you get in the taxi and you go into the city and you, when the taxi gets there, you get out and you pay the guys. Bad illustration because it's going to be a lot more than $10, not even going to be $30. Shows how long it's been since I've got a cab to the city. Work with me. Okay, let's say, you know, from Greystain to Paramount, it's $10, okay? And you give the cab driver 10 bucks, and then you go into work and, you know, about to have lunch and you realize that you've only got 10 bucks left in your wallet. And somewhere along the way, you've lost 10. And you think, oh, you know, maybe I gave the cab driver a really nice tip and he's got 20 bucks. Or maybe, I, you know, when I took one out, the other one fell and I didn't realize. And he says this, do you ring up the police and make a report? Do you try to track down the taxi driver and say, hey, did I give you 20 today? Do you kind of lose sleep over and go, oh, my goodness, I lost $10 today? No. He says, if you're a billionaire, you go, oh, yeah, I lost 10 bucks, whatever. I'm loaded. He says, so often as Christians, we don't live like that, even though that's who we are. When we fully understand what Christ has done for us and how rich we are as God's people and the inheritance we have in Christ, then, yeah, stuff happens in our day. Things go wrong. Somebody criticizes us. Somebody cuts us off from the freeway. Somebody is rude to us. You know, something we invested into goes belly up and we lose money. And something else goes wrong. And, our, you know, we have difficult times in our marriage or our kids are not doing what we want them to do. We go through stuff. And, yes, there is real loss involved. There's loss of reputation. There's loss of finances. There's loss of, you know, relationship. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens. So do we get mad at God? Do we lose sleep over it? Do we get anxious? and worried and go, oh God, oh God, you've failed me, you've abandoned me? Or do you go, you know what? God in you, in Christ, 
I'm a billionaire. And yes, yeah, stuff happens, but I keep coming to you. And I'm not going to get let this rob me of my contentment, which is why Jesus can say here, that's my peace. When you live in light of what the Holy Spirit tells you and reminds you of who you are, you can have peace. And not like the world gives it that's based on circumstances that comes and goes. Or not like the, the peace of the world that says, you know, all the bad stuff in your life, don't think about that stuff. And that's how you can have peace. No, because Jesus is, makes it clear here, you know, don't let your, your heart be troubled and do not be afraid, which means bad things will happen to you. But the peace that Jesus gives is not about just good things happening to you. It's knowing who you are in Christ and how rich you are. So as we conclude, I'd like the band to jump up. I want you to take a moment just to sit and listen to the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to pray. And I hope that understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how good he is and what he's come to do and that he's a person will give you greater confidence to come and say, yes, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want everything that God has for me in the Holy Spirit. And whether I've had a bad experience or no experience or I have a wrong understanding of the Holy Spirit and his ministry and speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, I I, I trust him because I know he's good and he's for me and he wants to bless me. And he wants me to fully experience Jesus. And the only way I can is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we'd love to pray with you, whether it's for the first time or the 158th time that you say, I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want to receive all that God has for me in the Holy Spirit. Come and let's just have a time of worship and prayer and ministry this morning and celebrate that we have been blessed with the Holy Spirit because Jesus rose seated at the right hand of the Father, and poured out His Spirit on us. Why don't you just take a moment to reflect, and then we'll stand and we'll sing and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Pour out your Spirit, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you about your sin today. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've not trusted him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't received God's forgiveness. And this morning as I've been preaching, the Holy Spirit has been at work convicting you of your sin. I want to encourage you, don't harden your heart. Don't resist him. Respond to him. And allow us to pray for you and and, and lead you to Christ today. If If you'd love that, I encourage you when people come forward for prayer, come and join them. And when somebody comes to pray with you, just say, I've never actually put my faith and trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is convicting me and I want to surrender my life to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you for that. And as we sing and worship, why don't we stand? If you'd like to be prayed for this morning, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and again and again, as Paul tells us, then why don't you come and let us do that? Thanks, Jeff.
Jesus. Jesus.